And the day came when my father-in-law passed away. And we prayed together as a family, and this was the prayer of my daughter. Thank you, God, for taking care of my grandpa. And thank you that he's okay. Wow. Do you see the confidence that is ours? And sometimes our children have to remind us of this. The confidence that is ours, belonging to the one who is the head of all rule and authority, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Doherty, and I'm your host. Today I'm going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. I'm going to look at the first eight verses and uh, just share some thoughts uh, from, uh, from those verses that the Lord's been working in my heart. So let's go ahead and look at this passage. So chapter 18 of Luke, verse 1. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said? Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will, he be, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find such faith on earth? At all times, we ought to pray. But we need to be careful in approaching this truth. I'm thinking of James chapter 4 and verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Certainly, this was not true of Christ and how he prayed. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, we read this, saying, Father, If you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. E. Stanley Jones has said that prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. Who do you cry to? In verses 1 to 8, we see you know, this question you know, being dealt with. Who do you cry to? In verse 1, we see the necessity of prayer. All times. It reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. So in any situation, we're to pray. You know, what does this look like, to pray without ceasing? Are we to be walking down the road, uh, you know, going shopping, driving down the road, you know, just, just continually verbally praying? Is, is this what he means? You know, when Madeline, my youngest daughter, was, uh, was learning how to jump into the pool here at his hill, and many of you have heard me tell this story, but bear with me. It, it, you know, she, she was not hard to coax. 
You know, all I had to do was say, hey, Madeline, jump. I've got you. And she would just jump right away. Jump. No, I mean, there was no hesitation. She jumped. And then she would look at me and she said in her with her little three-year-old vocabulary, daddy deeper. I wasn't sure what she meant by that. So I put her back on the side of the pool and she took off running around the shallow end toward the deeper end. And I had to swim quickly to, to get there before she jumped. And as soon as I got to where she was, she jumped. And she looked at me and she said, Daddy, deeper. So I put her back at the side of the pool. And she ran down a little deeper. I swam down. She jumped into my arms. And she says, Daddy, deeper. We ended up in the deepest part of the pool. And she jumped. And she looks at me and says, Daddy, deeper. I had no idea what she meant. So I wanted to find out. I put it on the side of the pool, and the child ran all the way around the corner, jumped up on the diving board, and without hesitation turned and ran toward the end of the board. I swam as quick as I could to get to the end of that board, and she just jumped right off into my arms with a big smile on her face. The constant communication, Daddy, deeper, Daddy, deeper, Daddy, deeper. Well, what does it mean without ceasing? Well, that's part of it. She's constantly talking to me, but a few weeks later, I walk into the house. And I'm standing at the bottom of the staircase talking to Arlene, who was in the kitchen. I had a stack of books under both arms. And as I'm talking with Arlene, I suddenly hear, Daddy! And I look up the stairwell, and Madeline is already in mid-flight coming down the stairwell. Hair blown back, big blue eyes wide open, arms stretched out ready for me to catch her. She heard my voice when she was upstairs, and she knew that that was the daddy that said, jump, I've got you. And so she was going to jump. <laughs> she jumped, and on the way down, she thought, oh yeah, daddy, the communication, daddy. In everything, you know, to, to be ready to talk, to be ready to communicate, to be ready to to share, to be ready to pray. This is praying without ceasing in any situation. The confidence of the one who prays is also found in verse 1, not to lose heart. You know, a heart can also be translated as faint, not to faint. And I don't know, some of you maybe know from personal experience what that, what that is like. I know I do. I have passed out once in my life, but there was another time I came very close. Another staff member and I were out for a run. This was probably 20 years ago. And as we're running, uh, we set, both of us being competitive, set a pretty fast pace. And after the race was over with, or it wasn't a race, I'm sorry, <laughs> after the run was over with, we got to talking and I said something to him like, why did you run so fast? And he looked at me and said, what do you mean? Why did I run so fast? You were the one that was running fast. I was trying to keep up with you. And I said, no, I was trying to keep up with you. Without the communication, we didn't realize that we were setting the pace for the other person, but there was no communication. And so anyway, this is what happened because we were going so fast, so hard. With about a quarter mile left to our route, I started to see spots. And I've talked with a doctor about this, and he says, yeah, you were about to pass out. That's what I was afraid of. And so what I did is I started 
just consciously thinking to myself, breathe, breathe, breathe. <laughs> and as I started to breathe and make sure I was breathing, something interesting happened. Not only was I able to continue running, not only did the spots go away, but I was able to run stronger than I had been running. You see, all the air I needed and more was all around me. But I was holding my breath, trying as hard as I could to run as fast as I could. How often do we do that with the Lord? He has made us complete. He has filled us with his very spirit. There's nothing more to add according to Colossians 2, 9 and 10. And what do we do? We beat the air. We run in such a way in this life that it depends on us. Instead of breathing the air, the very breath of life in us, that is Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 3.17 through um, 4.1 reads like this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face... Behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And then chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. And the confidence, the confidence in this is, is tremendous. Romans eight thirty five through 37, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our peril, our sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We who consider, we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This confidence that is ours in Christ. When Lauren, my oldest daughter, was once praying for her grandfather who was battling with cancer, as a young girl, she would pray like this, thank you, God, for taking care of my grandpa and that he's going to be okay. In Jesus' name, amen. Arlene and I would hear that prayer every night and look at each other and wonder, oh my goodness, what do we do? What do we tell her? What if, you know, things looked, looked pretty rough, looked pretty bad, didn't look like, you know, it, it just didn't know, was he going to make this or not? And if the, he doesn't, how's this going to affect, you know, our, our daughter? What should we say to her? And we just really, from what I remember, didn't have anything to say, didn't know what to say. And the day came when my father-in-law passed away. And we prayed together as a family, and this was the prayer of my daughter. Thank you, God, for taking care of my grandpa. And thank you that he's okay. Wow. Do you see the confidence that is ours? And sometimes our children have to remind us of this. The confidence that is ours, belonging to the one who is the head of of all rule and authority, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. 
Now, what about this unrighteous judge? The unrighteous judge. We're told in verses 2 and 4 that he did not fear God and he did not respect man. John MacArthur says this about the unrighteous judge, that he is someone who has absolutely no reverence for God, no interest in people. This man is ultimately and finally wicked. He is not moved by reverence or or worship, and he is not moved by compassion or sympathy. He has no interest in the first commandment, loving God, no interest in the second commandment, loving his neighbor. He is the most wicked man. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 27 says this, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. This judge, according to verse 6, was unrighteous. He did not fear God. He did not respect men. He was the most wicked man. He is unrighteous, again, according to verse 6. Unrighteous, which has also been translated in Scripture as an evildoer or a wicked or a wrong person. This is not to be the role of a judge, nor is it to be the role for those who claim to belong to the Lord. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, we read, You men who are stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did our fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. These men were the religious leadership of the Jewish nation. They were the ones that were in the scriptures. They were the ones that knew the word of God. They were the ones that were supposed to be leading the others in truth. But these are the ones who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. They look right on the outside, and they try hard to look right on the outside, but they're inside, uncircumcised in heart and ears. Their inside is a wreck. This is not to be true of those who belong to the Lord. In Jude chapter 4, we read this, For certain persons have crept in unannounced. That means they've come in right alongside, right alongside within the church. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord. Jesus Christ. Licentiousness, it is a lack of moral restraint. It's despicable. It's disgusting. This is not to be true of us. The point in all of this 
is that a worse man could not have been found. And this is the description of the only man we have to trust if we're not trusting Jesus. Paul describes it this way. Romans 7, verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present, but the doing of the good is not. Verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? The only man that we're left with to trust, if we're not trusting Jesus, is ourself. Nothing good dwells in my flesh, and I am wretched. When I was a young married man, I worked for my dad who owned a construction company. And he had several crews that were building houses. The crew I was with was run by a man who was one of the most nervous and uptight individuals I've never been around. He was always afraid always afraid that we were going to do the job wrong or that we wouldn't get the job done in time. And his fear was so great that it really affected how he led and how we worked. He would cut my lunch break down from, uh, from 30 minutes to 20 minutes to 15 minutes to 10 minutes and right down to five minutes. I had five minutes to eat my lunch. And if you know Arlene, you know she does not make a five minute lunch. She, as a matter of fact, her, the lunches she would give me were, took, were so large that I had to take them to work in an ice chest. I loved lunchtime until then. But I ate it. I would liter- literally shove all that food into my mouth in five minutes. The day came when we needed a little extra help with something we were working on, so my dad sent my brother to work with us. And as he was... Uh, as we were working, lunchtime came about, and the, the, the foreman of the job yells, lunchtime. Well, I ran off. I grabbed my ice chest. I sat down and started eating like a wild man. My brother comes over and looks at me and says, what are you doing? I looked at him, and I said, with a mouthful of food, I'm, I'm eating my lunch. You better hurry up. And he said, what do you mean, hurry up? And I said, we only have five minutes. It's all he gives us to eat. And my brother looks at me and says, I'm eating my lunch. And he walked over to the house next to us and he put his back up against the wall and slid down very slowly, took his lunch out and slowly opened it up, grabbed his sandwich and opened up one corner at a time and opened his bag of chips and laid it down and just took his time to eat. Well, I watched him and I thought, I'm eating. So I ran over and I sat down next to him and I started to do the same thing. The, the foreman just looked at us with anger and frustration, but never said anything or did anything. That night when I went home, I got a phone call from my dad. And he said, son, I hear you're not eating your lunch. I said, oh, no, dad, I'm eating it. I'm just eating it very quickly. My dad was not amused. And he said, son, do you think I'm going to fire you for eating your lunch? And I said, no, dad, I don't. And he replied with, then eat your lunch. Click, hung up the phone. See, I forgot something that was very important. 
I forgot that I was the boss's son. I was the boss's son. I was the son of the one who gave me a 30-minute lunch and I could take the whole time. What I had been doing was a distortion of who I was. I was living under the control of a nervous, uh, scared individual who was controlled by that and not by the confident strength of the owner of the business. There's a contrast given to us here. And unless we understand that the unrighteous judge is a contrast to God and him being the righteous judge, then we will be left with thinking that in order to get anywhere with God, we must argue with him. We must bug him. We must make a deal with him. But that's not what we're told as we go on in our passage and we see in verse 7 that our judge, God, is just. And the word just there in verse 7 means to, to vindicate. In the context, according to verse 3, it means that he will protect us. And in verses 7 to 8, we see that God is just, he is quick, and seeing the one who has faith. Again, verses 7 to 8. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He is just he is quick, and he is seeking the one who has faith. It's been pointed out that God is always answering prayer. Otherwise, Romans 8.28 could not be in the Bible. He is always looking to support those whose heart is completely his. Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support, that should grab our attention, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Proverbs 3.5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This is what Jesus will be looking for. Jesus will be looking for those who are found in faith. This is what he's looking for. Will he find faith on earth? Faith is a lifestyle. It's not just a one-time moment lived off of in antiquity, something that we've done long ago one time and have to keep living off of that moment. We don't lose the benefit of that moment of entrusting our life to Christ, but we must what? As we have received, so walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We must continue on in this faith and mature in this faith. We see this repeated several times in this passage. He says in verse 1, 
that we're to be praying at all times, not losing heart. We see in verse 5 that the, the woman is continually coming. And then in verse 7, we're to cry to him day and night. When asked how much time he spent in prayer, George Mueller's reply was, hours every day. But I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk and when I lie down and when I arise. And the answers are always coming. This spirit of prayer that he speaks of, this is to be true of all of us. What does that mean? When I wake up and I see Arlene, I say, good morning, dear. But that's not the end of my, conver my conversation with her. You see, it continues at work, at lunch, when we're sitting, when we're traveling in the car. It even continues when I travel because I will call her and I will text with her. A recent survey indicates that poor communication skills are the leading cause of divorce in the United States. One website that I came across asked a hundred mental health experts to identify factors that commonly lead to divorce. And among those that were polled, 65% said that the communication problems were the top of the list. If this is true for our marriages, then how much more important is it for us to be in communication with God? When we learn to pray at all times, looking to Jesus, we are living by faith. And this is what Jesus is looking for. Are you praying at all times? I want to thank you for listening and for the emails that you send, for the messages, the texts, the, the, uh, those of you in the local area that come up and talk with me about the podcast, thank you for the encouragement. I ask that you be praying for us as we continue to put episodes together, interviews and devotions. And uh, just to bring you up on to date, uh, we're getting closer to the start of Bible school and uh, ask that you be praying. Uh, you would be praying for our new students, that they would know the Lord's favor and travel, that they, would, uh, that they would know that their hearts would be ready for what the Lord wants to do in them. Uh, this year. And we ask the same for the staff, that we not become complacent, not just uh, start doing things by rote because we've done this year after year, but that we too know the Lord's wisdom and, and, and just being dependent upon Him to be in prayer, to be looking to Him, and, and to be living out that faith. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so by email. My address is kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, at hishill.org. And I want to, in closing, like we do with all of our episodes, to encourage you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Thanks for listening.